want to take the this opportunity to welcome everybody tonight. Good to see you here. And uh, as we make our way through uh, this portion of the book of Ezekiel, and so what you will have in your hands tonight is a copy of all of the notes. Uh, just felt like that would be much easier for you instead of trying to write down or copy down everything uh, that we're going to go through tonight, and hopefully this uh, will help. Uh, because it's also going to give you all of the scripture references and uh, as well. So one of the things it'll do, it'll give you an opportunity to go back and uh, just kind of go back through it for your for yourself. So um, without any further ado, let's take a couple of uh, let's just uh, go to the Lord in prayer, and uh, I'm going to ask you to stand together with me as we pray. Let's just remember those that are on our prayer list and. Uh, just a glorious day today as we worship together uh, the Lord and uh, the Lord has been uh, so good and uh, faithful to us and uh, so we just praise him for all of that and so let's go to the Lord in prayer and just pray for the time together tonight Father we thank you for uh, this opportunity that we have to gather here once again tonight to study your word Father I pray that you would allow us tonight to see, uh, Father, and to gain uh, the truth uh, that you would have us to see and to take and apply to our lives. I pray that the Holy Spirit now would just illuminate our hearts and minds, teach us uh, the word, uh, lead us and guide us into all truth, Father, that we may rightly divide the word of truth tonight. And so, Father, we pray for all of the requests that we have. We lift them up to you. Father, we lift them up to your throne of grace and just pray for your uh, blessing on each one of them. I pray that you would provide for them what only you can. And Father, so we ask all of this now in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. You can be seated. Hopefully everybody has a copy of the notes. And uh, if you don't, if you just raise your hand, but I think everybody has a copy. Okay. There's a couple extra set up here. Uh, if you need another set for someone else, you're more than welcome to take them and uh, to uh, have another set and another copy. All right? All right. What we're going to do tonight is actually go through, and I mean, we've, we've looked at a lot. We've been through a lot in chapters 40 through 45. Uh, there's a lot of information contained within inside of those chapters. Probably Ezekiel chapter 40 through chapter 48, uh, these chapters are some of the most misunderstood and misinterpreted passages in the Old Testament, and that's note number two for you. Uh, and, and, and that's not to put it lightly or mildly, that's just the case. Um, once again, as I have shared with you, it depends on what theological bent you hold to is going to determine the way that you're going to interpret these passages of Scripture. And there are two primary ones. Uh, one of them being what we refer to as covenant theology. And the other one is what we refer to as dispensational theology. Covenant theology uh, has and holds to uh, the teaching that uh, the church is spiritual Israel. And so things are interpreted through the lens of covenant theology where the church has replaced Israel and so everything that you see in the Old Testament pertaining to Israel has now been fulfilled in the church 
Dispensational theology basically says this, that there are dispensations throughout Scripture. And dispensation is just a fancy word uh, basically for the way that God deals with people during certain periods of time throughout biblical history of where we find ourselves in today. Often referred to, the dispensation that we refer to that we're in today is what's called and what's known as the dispensation of grace or the church age uh, that we're in now. And at no point in time does the church ever... Uh, replace Israel uh, it never at any time is uh, is the church seen as spiritual Israel there are dispensations all throughout the scripture and uh, depending on you know which which and, and the way that you uh, go through the scripture and lay out the dispensations um, the dispensation of grace, we often divide into two dispensations, one, of course, being the overall dispensation of grace. The other one is what is often referred to. Um, some, will, some will run down this line, some do not. Uh, I tend to think it is actually a division uh, when you come into the dispensation of grace, and it's what we refer to as a Pauline dispensation. Uh, when Paul took the gospel directly to the Gentiles. And um, so uh, even though Paul took the gospel to the Gentiles, one of the things that he also did, if you go back and you read and study the missionary journeys of Paul, one of the things that you'll find, and even though Paul was known as the apostle to the Gentiles and he took the gospel to the Gentiles, one of the things that you cannot that you cannot divorce yourself from nor did Paul uh, when you go back and you read the book of Acts as Paul traveled one of the things that you will see when he went into a new town one of the first places he would go to was the synagogue and he would go to the synagogue first uh, before he would uh, then carry the gospel message on to the Gentiles that were that were there and depending on what the outcome of that was would determine how long Paul would spend with uh, any of the Jews there in the synagogue. But uh, anyway, uh, depending on the theological bent that you draw from, whether it's covenant theology where you see the church as spiritual Israel or dispensation, if, every, if everybody in here wants to know where I stand and those who are watching online, uh, I hold to a dispensational theology line, okay? And do not believe that uh, the church is spiritual Israel today. Two economies, God is going to deal with Israel, and um, he'll deal with the church, uh, the church being the bride of Christ. So <clears throat> when you come to chapter 43 of the book of Ezekiel, one of the things that uh, is interesting, uh, matter of fact, in chapter number 43, one of the things that you have that takes place in verse 13 of chapter 43 through verse 17 is you see the altar of sacrifice. Well, the first question that comes is, wait a minute. Uh, why an altar of sacrifice? Um, I thought that Jesus Christ was the ultimate and final sacrifice, and he is seated at the right hand of the Father. There remaineth no more sacrifice. Uh, he was sacrificed once and for all. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, where he makes intercession on our behalf today. So why in the world would there be an altar of sacrifice? And then, beginning in verse 18, uh, as you make your way through the rest of 43, and then you get over to chapter 44 and verse 15, you see all of the ordinances for the Levites. And uh, so the big question comes then is, why? Why would that be the case? <clears throat> so 
the notes that you have in front of you we're just going to walk our way down through these um, we'll get as far as we get but at least you have all of them so that you can study them out for yourself so number three in your notes how can these prophecies be understood literally when the new testament states that the sacrificial system had been done away with by the death and the resurrection of christ and that's a question that everybody wants to ask and answer and the question is how do you answer that i mean why would there be sacrifices during the thousand year reign of christ wait a minute i thought jesus christ was going to reestablish the throne of david in the city of jerusalem and david would uh and the throne jesus christ would rule and reign from the throne of david in jerusalem for a thousand years there would be a temple but we thought everybody would just go worship in the temple and that is not that's not the case all right and so we're going to look at that in, in a little bit more detail as to why. Number four in your notes, it appears that Ezekiel prophesies, prophesies that the sacrificial system used by the Jews before the time of Christ will be reinstituted. Matter of fact, if you look at chapter 43 and verse 18, you'll notice what it says. And he said to me, Son of man, thus says the Lord God, these are the statutes for the altar on the day it is built to offer burnt offerings on it and to sprinkle blood on it. Why? <laughs> why? Why is that, you know, the, the question becomes is, is, is why is that the case? Why, why would that be? And, you know, it appears from just, re I mean, if, you all, if all you did was just read this from Ezekiel, it would almost appear that all the sacrificial systems used by the Jews would be reinstituted. Well, we're going to look at that in a little bit more detail. However, uh, there's always a however uh, when you come to note number five. However, the New Testament uh, in general, and the book of Hebrews in particular, uh, is emphatic uh, in declaring that Christ has by one sacrifice forever done away with the need for animal sacrifices there is no need for them today okay absolutely none and let me just go ahead and say this other than it being instituted during the millennial kingdom um, the need for an animal sacrifice to accomplish what they were intended for originally will not be the case however they're still going to be there and they're still going to be offered uh, take your bibles and let's go to hebrews chapter 10 Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1 through verse number 9. Probably one of the most detailed passages of Scripture when it compares the old and the new. Uh, when it comes to the old covenant and the new covenant. Uh, chapter 10. Actually, really, I, I mean, if you want a full... And, and a lot of people struggle with these, okay? But let me give you three chapters, okay? Uh, that you ought to read consecutively together, all right, uh, when you're going to study this particular subject. And that is Hebrews chapter 8, chapter 9, and chapter 10, all three of them. And you need to, you need to really read and study all three of them in their context. Uh, chapter 8 does uh, and deals with a better ministry, the new covenant. Chapter 9 basically does a comparison between the old and the new. And then when you come to chapter 10, it's where the real emphasis is placed on the fact uh, that the crucifixion of Jesus Christ 
uh, was the one sacrifice that was sufficient for all. There remaineth no more sacrifice for sin. So chapter 10, beginning in verse 1, I want you to notice what it says. It says, For the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very form of things, can never by the same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make perfect those who draw near. And let me say this, that is a key to understanding this. Those sacrifices that were offered once a year, okay, did not have with inside of them to make the one who came perfect. It just did not happen. Verse 2, and the reason that that did not happen is because it was an imperfect animal sacrifice. And you say, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, Brother Robert. I thought they had to be spotless and there could be no defects in them. That is correct as far as physical outward appearance, but they're still an animal, okay? So they still did not have what was necessary to take care of the requirement. Verse 2, otherwise... Okay, if they did, otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? In other words, if the animal sacrifices could have accomplished what was necessary, then why would they continue, have continued to be offered? Okay, makes logical sense, doesn't it? Okay, well, the reason they were offered year after year is because they couldn't. They couldn't take care of what was necessary. And here's the reason in verse number two, because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, now watch this, having once been cleansed, would no longer have had consciousness of sins. Verse 3, but in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year by year. In other words, every year, there's a reminder of sin. Why? Because the animal sacrifices could not do away with the sin. The animal sacrifices were nothing more than a covering. That's all it was. And so year after year, that's why the high priest had to enter into the holy of holies year after year. And it was a constant reminder year after year of sin. And so the writer of Hebrews goes on. Verse 4 kind of just puts a nail in the coffin. For it is impossible. And you see that word there. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. That is the major difference between the sacrificial offering of animals versus the sacrificial offering of Jesus Christ. The sacrificial offering of Jesus Christ once and for all, seated at the right hand of the Father, completely removed our sin as far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered anymore. That's the difference. The sacrifice of, blood, uh, of bulls and goats, every year there was a remembrance. And the reason why is because that sacrifice, that sacrificial offering was nothing more than a covering. Verse 5, Therefore, when he comes into the world, he says, this is, this is a quotation from Psalm chapter 40, verse 6 through verse number 8. Sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. And whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. Speaking of Jesus Christ. Verse 8, After saying above, 
sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you have not desired nor have you taken pleasure in them which are offered according to the law verse 9 then he said behold I have come to do your will he takes away the first in order to establish the second all right so back to our back to our notes okay just hold your place there in Hebrews Uh, we're going to be in Hebrews for a little while okay so let me say tonight there are two there are two primary interpretations of Ezekiel chapter 40 through chapter 48 right and there are just two primary ones all right one is spiritual and the other is literal in other words one of the interpretations completely spiritualizes everything in chapter 40 through chapter 48 the other one is a literal interpretation of chapter 40 through chapter 48 so let's take the first one let's take the spiritual interpretation and I'm going to walk through it and show you why that it cannot be all right now I will say this to you if you go and you study both of these interpretations and let me say this some of the biblical scholars who write to the first one uh, have a lot of 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 support text out there but please listen to me very carefully here again even though the support text that they draw from they point to but keep in mind that support text that they use if you come from a covenant theology perspective you can allow those passages of scripture to bring to you what you need when taken out of context that's the issue so as we walk through this spiritual interpretation of this text I very carefully laid it out for you okay so number seven first some state that these sacrifices are not to be understood literally but only as symbols or foreshadows of what was fulfilled in Christ's all-sufficient sacrifice on the cross. One of the things that they use is Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 and verse number 2. If you will turn over there and notice what it says. All right? And basically what the writer of the book of Hebrews is saying is giving us basically God's final word in his Son jesus christ but notice hebrews chapter 1 verse 1 and verse number 2 god after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways in these last days has spoken to us in his son whom he appointed heir of all things through whom also he made the world now that sounds that sounds correct and it is okay but understanding the context of what's been written here is Jesus Christ is the final sacrifice that was offered context let me give you context he's the final sacrifice for sin he's the final sacrifice for sin Ezekiel is not disputing that. Ezekiel is not writing contrary to that. When you understand the context here, what we the writer of Hebrews is saying is, yes, Jesus Christ is the final, he's the ultimate, 
there is no there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin and that is correct and that is absolutely true now the new testament teaches that jesus christ fulfilled and abolished this is number eight in your notes the new testament teaches that christ fulfilled and and abolished the old testament sacrificial system and priesthood okay and and that and and that is true let's go back to the book of well we're in hebrews here you should be let's go to chapter 8 and look at verse 8 through verse number 10 okay um and here again in chapter 8 we're dealing here with um this 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 new versus the old this new ministry okay let's do this let's start in verse number seven okay i want you to notice verse seven for if that first covenant had been faultless there would have been no occasion sought for a second the new covenant in jesus christ the new covenant in the blood of christ the old covenant of the law now don't get those confused okay this has absolutely nothing to do with covenant theology here basically it has to do with the old covenant under the law and the new covenant under jesus christ that's what it has to do with that's what these covenants have to do here and do with we're not talking about the abrahamic covenant and the davidic covenant here okay the noahic covenant the palestinian we're not we're not talking about any of those here okay what we're talking about here is the old covenant under the law and the new covenant under grace so he said the writer of hebrew said if that first covenant had been faultless then guess what there would have been no need of a second okay verse three or verse eight for finding fault with them he says this is quoting from jeremiah chapter 31 verse 31 through verse 34 the writer of hebrews is getting ready to draw from the old testament and notice what it says behold days are coming says the lord when i will effect a new covenant with the house of israel and with the house of judah not like the covenant which i made with their fathers on the day when i took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of egypt for they did not continue in my covenant and i did not care for them says the lord for this is the covenant that i will make with the house of israel after those days says the lord i will put my laws into their minds and i will write them on their hearts and i will be their god and they shall be my people and they shall not teach everyone his fellow citizen and everyone his brother saying know the lord for all will know me from the least to the greatest of them for i will be merciful to their iniquities and i will remember their sins no more and he's speaking of the jews here and then we get down to verse 13 when he said a new covenant he has made the first obsolete but whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to disappear all right now as we continue down this path and as we continue down this thought you need to turn with me to revelation chapter 21 
Revelation chapter 21. Now, the ones who hold to a spiritual, okay, uh, try to use Hebrews chapter 8, verse 8 through verse number 10 to show, okay, uh, that everything is going to be completely um, all wrapped up inside of the church, okay? Spiritual Israel, but that's not the case. So we come to Revelation 21. Revelation chapter 21 is an interesting one. Uh, one of the things that we need to see and understand when you come to Revelation chapter 21, verse 22 through verse 27 and we'll read these together. The book of the Revelation describes the heavenly city of the future with no temple or sacrifices, only Christ the Lamb. And so therefore they try to use this to point to the reason why there would be no sacrifices during the millennial kingdom. Well, here's a problem. It's called context. Okay? One of the things that you need to understand about Revelation chapter 21, verse 22 through verse 27, it deals strictly with the eternal state, not the millennial kingdom. That's the difference. When you go back to Revelation chapter number 20, in Revelation chapter number 20, you will find at the end of chapter 10, uh, 20 is the great white throne judgment of God. That's when the last and final judgment takes place. When you come to the beginning verses of chapter 21, you find, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth has been done away with. We enter into the eternal state after the great white throne judgment of God. Matter of fact, the dead are delivered up, the sea, uh, and the dead delivered up the dead which were in them. They all stood before the great white throne judgment of God. They were judged out of the things that were written in the book. When you come down to verse um, 11 through the end of chapter 20 uh, one of the things that you will notice that they were also judged out of the things that were written in the books uh, the book of life was opened and basically from there they were cast into the lake of fire you leave chapter 20 you leave the millennial kingdom and you move into the eternal state all right so when you move into the eternal state uh, in chapter 21 is the context here in chapter 21 of the book of the Revelation, you are in the eternal state. You're not in the millennial kingdom any longer. So beginning in verse 22 of chapter 21, notice what it says. So I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God the Almighty and the Lamb are in its temple. Now, they are its temple. There is, listen, there, there's, no, there's no temple in the, in the eternal state. There's no need for one. Why do you need a temple in the eternal state for? God, okay, and the Lamb, the Father and the Lamb are the temple. That's who they are. We will forever be in their presence. And the city has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God has illuminated it. And its lamp, and notice this, and its lamp is the who? The lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. In the daytime, for there will be no night there. Its gates will never be closed. Speaking of the holy city, the new Jerusalem, all right? And they will bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it, and nothing unclean. And no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. That's the only ones who will be there in the eternal state, okay? 
That's where we will be. So the context here has absolutely nothing to do with Ezekiel chapter 40 through chapter 48 dealing with the millennial kingdom. Of course there will be no temple in the eternal state. There's no need of a temple in the eternal state. There will be no sacrifices offered in the eternal state. There's no need to offer any sacrifices in the eternal state. Okay? Difficulty here, and the problem is context. Okay? All right, number 10. So, as we continue down this thought, right, of the spiritualization of Ezekiel 40 through 48. Number 10, Ezekiel portrays the Gentiles as excluded from Israel's temple, which is contrary to the New Testament teaching that Jew and Gentile are one in Christ. Okay, now hold on a minute. Here again, we're getting ready to deal with a context issue. Okay, when you go read Ezekiel 40 through 48, the Gentiles are excluded because we're not, we don't, listen, we don't have part of that. It's not about us. It's not about we as Gentiles. It is about the Jews, okay, and what will take place in the temple. The Levites, okay, as well as the Zadites, okay, um, they are the ones who will take care of the ministry with inside of the temple during the millennial kingdom, not us, okay. I hate to tell you this, but if you thought that we were going to be in the temple and we're going to be in the holy place and we're going to be in there helping uh, serve and minister, I hate to tell you this, but the Gentiles will not be of which you and I are Gentiles, okay? The Jews will be. The restored Israel will be. And they will be going back and serving. And we see it's all laid out in the book of Ezekiel, okay? But I want you to understand the context here and the reason why that is going to take place. Let's go to Galatians chapter number 3. This is another area that they try to go to in the New Testament. Uh, to try to kind of bolster their position of spiritualizing Ezekiel 40 through chapter 48. Chapter number 3 of the book of Galatians, right? Basically what Paul is going to do here in Galatians chapter 3, beginning in verse 15 down through verse 29, is going to deal with the intent of the law. So, here's what they say. If we start in verse 24, all right? It says, Therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor or a schoolmaster. For you are now... And here's where they draw from. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Yeah. Agreed. Okay. Verse 27. For all of you. Now here comes the kicker. You know there's always. There's always this. There's always a. There's always a kicker here. Okay. And this is what we refer to as a kicker. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ doesn't matter whether you're Jew or Gentile how does a Jewish individual come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior the same way that you and I do those who are saved 
by faith as a result of placing their trust and faith in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone make up as part of the bride of Christ and the church that's what I want you to get your hands around okay those who place their trust and faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ and him alone okay are part of the bride it's who they are not all of the Jews only those who place their trust and faith in him but God is not finished with the others okay everybody okay if, if you understand just kind of go like this if you're not quite sure go like this okay and if you don't understand it all go like this okay so all of those who you're 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 kind of there go like this if, if you're not quite there go like this i don't see any and if you're totally not there go like this i bet that's making them people watching online dizzy aren't they okay so notice verse 28 notice what paul writes here he said there is neither jew nor greek there is neither slave nor free man there is neither male nor female for you are all one in christ and that is absolutely true and correct we're all one in christ that is for sure if you have been baptized into jesus christ in other words if you have placed your trust and faith in jesus christ and him alone there is no difference between greek or jew and so guess what when we get to the millennial kingdom for those of us who have been born again by the holy spirit of god make up the bride of christ or the church God is still going to deal with Israel. Those who did not. He's not finished with them. And then verse 29, Paul just kind of hits it out of the ballpark here. Notice what he says in verse 29. And if you belong to Christ, are you ready for this? He goes back the other way. Then you are Abraham's descendants. Heirs according to the what? Heirs according to the promise for each of us okay well if that's not enough go to Ephesians flip over to Ephesians chapter number 2 Ephesians chapter 2 and let's start in verse number 11 okay Ephesians chapter 2 verse number 11 therefore remember that that formerly you the gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision in other words gentile versus jew here okay which is performed in the flesh by human hands remember that you were at that time separate from christ in other words paul's dealing with their prior condition here that you were at that time separate from Christ excluded and notice what he says excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in the world verse 13 which is temple language here this is something that the Jews would understand very clearly because it is temple language but now in Christ Jesus you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ 
For he himself is our peace who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. Here again, those who hold to a spiritualization of Ezekiel 40 through 48 say, see there, the wall of the partition was torn down. It was broken down. Everybody's been made together as one. So therefore, there is no need to look at Ezekiel 40 through 48 as literal sacrifices that are going to take place in a literal temple inside of Jerusalem during the millennial kingdom. That is not what that's talking about here. The context has absolutely nothing to do with that. Basically, what it is saying here is Jesus Christ, the final sacrifice, broke down the wall of partition that existed between the old covenant and the Jew that has been circumcised according to the law and the uncircumcised Gentile who were afar off and on the outside. They have all been brought together as one in Jesus Christ true and correct as the bride of Christ for those who place their trust and faith in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone he says this in verse 15 by abolishing in his flesh the enmity which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances so that in himself he might make the two into one new man thus establishing peace and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by it having put to death the enmity or the hostility and he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near for through him we both have our access in one spirit to the father so then you are no longer strangers and aliens but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Number 11. The New Testament speaks of the church as a spiritual Israel ah, in which Old Testament prophecies are fulfilled. Let's go back to Galatians. Go to Galatians chapter number 6. And notice verse 15 and verse 16. Galatians chapter 6 verse yeah, chapter 6 and verse 15 and verse 16, right? For neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And those who will walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon hmm, the Israel of God. What they like to say is, see there, we're all the same. The church is spiritual Israel. No, it's not. And that is not the context here at all by Paul. In other words, it doesn't make any difference, circumcision or uncircumcision. We have been all brought together because of Jesus Christ. Keeping in mind, that is for all of those, whether you're Jew or Gentile. That's why Paul writing in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, when he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek or Gentile. And so for everyone, 
Jew or Gentile doesn't make any difference who place their trust and faith in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone make up the bride of Christ then it goes back to Hebrews chapter 8 verse 8 through verse 10 but we won't turn there for tonight however let me just give you a couple of more notes surrounding uh, the spiritual interpretation this view violates okay here's the difficulty it violates the normal historical grammatical way to interpret the text that's the issue and that's the difficulty it also attempts to read new testament meaning back into the old testament text rather than understanding the old testament text in light of the new testament that's the problem see let me tell you one of the things that you deal with a lot of folks don't like to go study the old testament let me just share something with you if you want to understand the new you better go back and understand the old and read and study the old because you need to understand the old if you're going to appreciate and understand the new and I've said this before over and over and over again everything that took place in Israel from the giving of the law to all the sacrifices all the feasts all the offerings every bit of that was messianic in theme every bit of it was messianic in theme it all pointed to something it all pointed to Jesus Christ Jesus Christ himself matter of fact even the one that we were speaking about this morning Joshua Joshua is a picture of Jesus Christ himself so everything that you have in the Old Testament pointed that pointed that direction right number 14 in your notes they also state that the sacrifices prophesied by Ezekiel could be pointing back to the cross just as the Old Testament ones pointed forward to it uh, let me give you a little hint here keep going that direction okay keep going that direction we keep moving post Calvary okay post Calvary so number 15 now the literal interpretation looks to the actual restoration of the temple and sacrificial system just as Ezekiel prophesied it would be fulfilled during the millennial so if you go back to Revelation chapter 20 we're not going to take the time to read all through it but the millennial kingdom all right, is set up here and we see it um, as you go through chapter number uh, 20 um, you had the thrones and they that sat on them judgment was given to them I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus Christ because of the word of God this is in verse 4 of chapter 20 of the book of the revelation uh, and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark on their forehead verse 5 the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed this is the first resurrection and then he goes all the way through and we see that there's actually okay let me ask you a question if it's if it's spiritualized and there is no temple and there is okay but yet you say there's a millennial kingdom uh, this doesn't make any sense let me let me share this with you you can't have it both ways you just can't have it both ways let me ask you a question do you believe in a millennial kingdom 
hope you do but let me tell you why revelation chapter 20 teaches about it so if revelation 20 teaches that there is a millennial kingdom then apparently what ezekiel is dealing with from chapter 40 through chapter 48 must be literal and not symbolic or spiritual number 16 ezekiel presents a highly detailed description and here's the other question okay if it is nothing more than symbolic then why in the world why in the world would God give to Ezekiel such elaborate details? Well, okay. So if that's the position you hold, let me ask you a simple question. Was, was the wilderness tabernacle symbolic? Was it spiritual? Do you spiritualize it? I mean, my gracious, go back and read the book of Exodus, beginning in chapter 19, all the way up through 32, 33, and 34. What did God do with Moses? He gave them detail. He gave him detailed instructions. Well, guess what he did to Ezekiel? He took him and he showed him. And guess what? There are detailed instructions given on the millennial temple as well. So all of the details, all of the description is absolutely details if this passage is spiritualized this is number 17 in your notes then on similar grounds most of the old testament prophesy uh, prophecies could be spiritualized away including the obviously literal ones about the first coming of christ that's my other question micah 5 2 zechariah chapter 12 and chapter 14 isaiah chapter 7 chapter 9 chapter 11 chapter 53 so what do we do do we just spiritualize all of those as well because guess what all of those have to do and have to deal with the first coming of jesus christ himself to the actual city he would be born in the way he would be born what would take place at his crucifixion and all so is all of that spiritualized away because and here comes my other simple question to you so 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 how in the world who makes who makes the call as to what is spiritualized and what's not when we know for sure and know for certain that it's literal i mean how do you do that i don't know give me a headache number 18 the same then applies to his second coming so is he not coming again is he not coming again number 19 the scripture distinguishes between Israel and the church let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 32 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 32 and verse 33 so the church in Israel are distinguished between the two of them Paul writing in chapter number 10 basically he's dealing with and he is impressing upon them to not to follow in Israel's mistakes okay so we come to verse 32 and verse 33 all right give no offense either to Jews or to Greeks. Notice what else he adds. Or to the church of God. 
And notice the differentiation in that verse. Jew, Gentile, and the church. Just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of the many, so that they may be, what? Saved. All right, now I'm going to take you to probably three of the most abused passages of Scripture in your Bible. Romans chapter 9, if you will go there. Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11. Referred to as parenthetical in the book of Romans. Paul dealing with practical Christianity in the book of Romans. We're going to come to those three chapters, and let me tell you what Paul does. Paul steps back now, and he deals with his own nation, his own kin's people. Okay? Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter number 9. Beginning in verse number 1, notice what Paul says. I am telling the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were a curse, separated from Christ, for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom belongs the adoption as sons, and the glory, and the covenants, and the giving of the law, and the temple service, and the promises, whose are the fathers, and from whom is the Christ according to the flesh, who is over all God blessed forever. Amen. There's a separation there. Okay? If there's not, then why in the world would Paul specifically address his kinsmen? of the house of Israel. Number 20 in your notes. Promises unique to Abraham and his literal descendants, such as the promised land. I hate to tell you this, they're not fulfilled in the church. And let me share something with you, okay? You're, during the millennial kingdom, okay, you're, you, you don't have an inheritance in Israel. We as Gentiles don't. The promise, the, listen, the promised land did not come to us. And this is probably going to help you understand why it is critical to understand a literal fulfillment of Ezekiel 40 through 48. The dividing of the land from chapter 46 through chapter 48 of the book of Ezekiel, that land is going to be possessed. It is going to be dwelt in by those tribes that that land was promised to according to the promise that God made to Abraham. And it's going to happen. And when is it going to happen? It's going to happen during the millennial kingdom. And I hate to tell you this, (laughs) but you're not in that list. Well, hold on, wait a minute. Let me back up. Are there any Jewish folks in here tonight? Number 21 in your notes. The passage of Scripture in Revelation 21 is not about the millennial kingdom. It is about the eternal state that will follow the millennium. Ezekiel's prophecy number 22, 40 through 48, will be fulfilled in the millennium. In the eternal state, there will be no temple or sacrifices. Now, the sacrifices mentioned by Ezekiel, when you go back to Ezekiel and look at uh, chapter 43 just turn back there Ezekiel chapter 40 
Ezekiel chapter 43, okay? When you look at the offerings, in Ezekiel chapter 43, beginning in verse 18, And he said to me, Son of man, thus says the Lord God, These are the statutes for the altar on the day it is built to offer burnt offerings on it and to sprinkle blood on it. <laughs> Do what? To offer burnt offerings and to sprinkle blood on it. Look down at verse 20. You'll take some of its blood and you'll put it on the four horns and on the four, and on the four corners of the ledge and on the border round about it. And thus you, you, you shall cleanse it and make atonement for it. You shall also take the, uh, the bull for the sin offering and it shall be burned in the appointed place of the house outside the sanctuary. And then on the second day, you will offer a male goat without blemish for a sin offering and they shall cleanse the altar as they cleansed it with the bull. And when you've finished cleansing it, you'll present a young bull without blemish and a ram without blemish from the flock. You will present them before the Lord and the priest shall throw salt on them and they shall offer them up as a burnt offering to the Lord. For seven days you will prepare daily a goat for a sin offering. Also a young bull and a ram from the flock without blemish shall be prepared. For seven days they shall make atonement for the altar and purify it so they shall consecrate it. When they have completed the days it shall be that on the eighth day and onward the priest shall offer your burnt offerings on the altar and your peace offerings and I will accept you declares the Lord God. And notice they're offered on the altar of burnt offering where the four horns of the altar are if you will notice one of the things that is missing here is a mercy seat and the ark of the covenant why there are no need for them so the sacrifices mentioned in Ezekiel specifically 43 okay have no please listen to this, have no atoning significance. They are merely memorial in nature. Looking back to the accomplished work of Christ on the cross, the same that the Lord's Supper does for believers today. Do we crucify Christ every time? No, we don't. But do we observe the Lord's Supper? We do. The bread symbolizing the broken body of Jesus Christ. The fruit of the vine symbolizing the blood that was spilt on Calvary for you and I. It is strictly memorial. What they are going to do here is strictly memorial in nature. Because at the millennial kingdom, at the second coming, at the second coming of Jesus Christ, when he returns the second time, Daniel chapter 12 there are two time periods. There's a 30-day period and there's a 45-day period at the end of the 70th week of Daniel. That 30-day period is a time of mourning. When you go look at 30 days in the Old Testament, it speaks of mourning. They mourn for Moses for 30 days. They mourn, uh, mourn for Joseph for 30 days. 30 days is a time of mourning. When Jesus Christ returns, Israel is going to see him for who he is at that point. And there will be a time of mourning because they will realize that he, in fact, was who he said that he was. 45-day period that is in there is a time of sanctification and cleansing, time period for the millennial temple. Because keep in mind that halfway through the 70th week of Daniel, the Antichrist is going to raise himself up inside of the temple, and he is going to defile it with his presence in there. 
And before they can begin the millennial time of worship with inside of the temple, it must go through a cleansing period. That 45-day period, when you go back and study and you look at the law, that 45-day period is set aside for the cleansing and the sanctification of the temple for worship and for service. Number 24. The rest of Ezekiel's prophecy will be fulfilled in a literal 1,000-year reign of Christ. Number 25, if so, then there is no reason not to take the prophecy about the sacrifices as literal too. If that's literal, then this has to be literal. Okay? Number 26, the Old Testament did not foresee how Jew and Gentile would be joined together, but it did envision that the Gentiles would be blessed. In the covenant of Abraham, those who bless you will be blessed. Those who curse you will be what? Cursed. God's desire for Israel that he would be a light and a blessing to the Gentiles. For the sake of time tonight, you can go look at those passages later. Number 27, Ezekiel's prophecies do not exclude this later revelation at all. Number 28, the book of Hebrews speaks only of abolishing animal sacrifices as in an atoning sense, not in a memorial sense. And that is, that is the key. Whew. That is a lot, okay? That's a lot of information. Here's what I would encourage you to do especially those who are watching online. If you have any questions, you didn't catch something, you want some clarification, please send me an email. It's very simple, pastor at ascensionbaptist.org, and uh, I'll attempt to answer your question the best that I can. Uh, those who are watching online, if you want a copy of the notes, if you will let me know, uh, we'll see to it that we get you a copy of them digitally so that you will have them. And anybody that is physically here tonight uh, with us, if you need a copy or you have questions, uh, please, I'll be here at the front uh, for a little bit afterwards. I'll be more than happy to answer your question the best that I can. Or if you get home and you go, oh, God, I remember that question. Things that Stephanie does, okay? Send me a quick email, okay? And uh, we'll answer them the best that we can. Amen? All right. Uh, let's stand. It will be dismissed in a word of prayer. And uh, that's a lot of material for you. I trust it has uh, helped shed a little bit of light on Ezekiel 40 through 48. Now, Lord willing, next Sunday night we will be in chapters 46, 47, and 48. And we're going to look at the dis this division of the land and the significance of it. And uh, by the way, I'll let you in just on a little thing and you can start looking through that. There are two tribes that are missing. What happened to them? Where did they go? Why are they not in the list? Well, we'll talk about that as well. But if you want to know, you have to come back. Okay? All right. Let's be dismissed in a word of prayer, and uh, we'll go. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. And Father, we thank you uh, for the truth that it contains. And Father, as we look forward with anticipation to the day of your second coming, Father, may we realize that the clock is ticking. People desperately need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And may we be found faithful planting the seed, carrying the truth of the gospel to those around us as we look forward, always looking uh, to that blessed time and day 
when we'll spend all of eternity with you. We love you. Dismiss us now. Keep us safe as we travel home. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.